0: Hello and welcome to the Scientist to CEO podcast, where we talk to scientists turned CEO about their journey from first idea to leading a company forward. These conversations are here to inspire, inform and entertain every and anyone interested in science, innovation and leadership. Today's episode was recorded as part of our monthly talk series. If you wish to be part of the next event, check us out at our website at spin-up.science or find us on social media. For this month's episode, I talked to Dr. Joseph Healy, CEO of Nanosyrinx, a biotechnology company based out of the University of Warwick's Medical School. Nanosyrinx is taking inspiration from nature and using viruses to help inject therapeutics directly into the interior of cells. Joe first saw the potential of his technology during his PhD and subsequently led the push to realise it by starting a company. During our conversation, he told me about the process of commercialization, the obstacles he's faced along the way, and how it feels to be a CEO of a therapeutic startup looking to reinvent medicine. But let's start at the beginning.
1: Uh, Me personally, um, my my background is kind of molecular and synthetic biology. Um, I finished a a PhD in in essentially molecular microbiology, synthetic biology at, at Warwick in about 2018. During that PhD, uh, I was working on the technology that subsequently became kind of the core of, of the company. And from about halfway through my PhD, we started to think a bit more seriously about translating the research and commercializing things. Then once I would finished my PhD, uh, I did a couple of kind of small postdocs on some mostly um, Warwick University kind of internal uh, translation money to kind of get the IP really to where it needed to be to go out and raise raise private investment which we did mostly through 2019. And then we closed our first round of investment just in time for the pandemic in February of 2020. And then kind of to bring you up to where we are today, we raised uh, a little over 6 million in the middle of last year. So that's our kind of, it's a large seed round. And that's now funding us for approximately the next two years. Awesome. It's a, it's a very large seed round, I would say.
0: <laughs> that's polite to call it a large seed round. Awesome. Amazing. Um, where I want to start, I guess, is uh, just with a little bit of a high-level kind of description uh, as to what what is the company, what they're trying to trying to do, and then I want to go back and start from start from the early days when you were that PhD student, go back on that. But let's start high level.
1: Yeah, so um, in a nutshell, the, the problem that the company is trying to solve is uh, the challenge of of intracellular drug delivery, particularly of biologics and uh, particularly achieving that in a, in a targeted way. So the, the technology that I did my PhD on and, and now kind of resides in the company is a bacterially derived nanosyringe system in effect. It's a biomacromolecular complex that the bacteria produces. It's kind of on the order of a sort of small phage size particle. The bacteria uses this ordinarily to, to deliver toxins into um, sort of targeted host cells as a virulence factor. And so by repurposing this and, and sort of swapping those toxic bits out for, for therapeutic bits, we're engineering um, what we think has the potential to be kind of a, almost a, a designer solution to, um, to this drug delivery challenge, particularly as it pertains to kind of opening up the interior of the cell to, uh, to therapeutic interventions.
0: And, and talk to me a little bit about why is that a difficult challenge in the first place why is getting drugs into the human body such such a difficult problem to overcome
1: yeah so well you've got sort of two layers to it really obviously on the one hand you've got the the actual kind of pharmacodynamic elements of just getting it around the body um but even once you overcome that hurdle and you can kind of get the drug to where it roughly needs to be if the target that you want to drug is inside the cell and obviously most of the things most of the pathways and enzymes and things that we care about are you still have to overcome the cell membrane you have to physically transport those those um, payloads inside the cell somehow most of the solutions that we currently have most of the therapeutics we currently have target cell surface markers of some description so current estimates are that only around about Less than twenty percent of kind of the known human proteome has been drugged, and that's with small molecules, antibodies, kind of you name it, all of the, the sort of classical approaches that have that have gone before. So, actually getting things to where they need to be, so in a targeted manner that actually drugs the right cell, is is difficult. Um, and really, the best approach we have for that is antibodies. But then, getting those antibodies into a cell is difficult. We the the vehicle that we're designing essentially has the has the potential to bring this. Specificity, this cell targeting, in which uh, I think is it's probably fairly obvious that that's that, you know that's a desirable feature of a of a drug delivery mechanism that you want to make sure you're intoxicating only the cells you care about that that are exhibiting the, the relevant disease state, etc. And then on top of that, we have the fact that we're what we're building is effectively a, a genetic platform. So the whole system, as I mentioned, is produced in bacteria, which means you know every single amino acid in the structure is programmable, open to engineering, which gives you a lot of sort of flexibility and robustness to really try and solve this this problem fundamentally. Amazing, so in my mind, I'm imagining the kind of classic bacteriophage
0: looking uh, almost almost injectable device. Is that, is that high level kind of what is being designed? How much of that is taking something that already existed in
1: nature versus building something new that is fit for purpose? Yeah, so it's it's pretty much exactly as as you say. So um, the kind of classical picture that people have of a phage is kind of a long stalk with it, and it's got a big capsid head on it. Um, our system doesn't have that capsid. It doesn't it doesn't package DNA. It's just kind of the the tail contractile mechanism, and so most most of that structure is 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 structural proteins it comprises the bulk of the kind of the chassis so really the the two bits that are most relevant to to us from a platform perspective is our ability to swap the payloads around and put proteins of interest into the system, which is um, what our initial IP on the system was geared around. And then there's the actual targeting aspect. And then beyond that, I mean, it works pretty much as as a phage does, the whole system contracts, it injects the payloads across the membrane, which is why we we talk about getting around this endosomal trafficking challenge. So while the whole system is amenable and open to, to engineering and kind of manipulating the properties of, there are really only kind of like two critical bits that that you kind of need to worry about from a, from a making it useful perspective. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in that vein, I guess, um, as you describe
0: it, it sounds obviously a fantastic idea, kind of neatly packaged up, ready to
1: go. Where, where is it in reality of development? so we're i mean we're even with the money we've raised we're still super early stage you know that's why we describe it as you know what would be a series a for many other companies is still very much a kind of seed level investment for us so that uh, i think I, I mentioned before that 6 million really is is running us for the next 2 years and the idea is that at the at the end of that 2 years we'll be out raising our series a with effectively the bulk of the platform development work done so we're we're not yet far enough down the line that we're trying to develop any therapeutics or anything just yet we we know that we are simply too early and and you know still don't quite have all of the right expertise in place to make really smart decisions about you know what therapeutic number 1 might be but uh, really it's about just coming up with a couple of compelling proofs of concept really at this stage that show what the system can be capable of to create a bit of traction when we go out and do that series A raise process, because we know that, you know, if if we try to decide what product number one is going to be at this stage, we're probably going to make the wrong decision. Um, You know, the platform can go in so many different directions. And once you do start traveling down a particular path, you're going to get a long way down there before you necessarily realize that it isn't going to work. So we, need to be kind of smart about how much we commit ourselves to certain things at this stage long story short still super early (laughs) still super early we're going in the right direction as fast as possible
0: back to your time in the phd can you describe to me i guess going from hey i think we've got something interesting here guys to we should probably turn this into a company to getting out of the university and finding the that first investment and in getting the company up and ground up and off the ground kind of what was that story for you
1: yes it was it was a fairly long story for us i mean as, i think as i mentioned we started to kind of seriously consider the commercialization story in uh 2016-ish and we had some kind of initial traction and, and interest we did an accelerator competition based out of Oxford where we got to the finale with really no data and just a kind of an idea and it was at that point that we thought okay you know we are we are onto something here uh, and you know people really care about trying to solve this problem and a lot of that was done uh, really just through speaking to um, what was then Warwick Ventures, so that the technology transfer office at Warwick, they, you know, they connected us up with these accelerated programs with people in the know um, that we could start getting perspectives on and, and, and contacts. Then, you know, we, we talk fairly often about um, how, like, in the early days, we got into rooms that really we had no business being in, just because of kind of the The story we were telling was so far ahead of the kind of the data that supported it. Uh in particular, we we got flown out to New York to pitch at the scientific advisory board of a program called FutureX, which was a bunch of large pharma and and American kind of healthcare funds that were clubbing together to to kind of incubate companies. And it generated a lot of interest there. But again, we were still kind of too early really to 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 do anything with. Um, So it wasn't until I kind of finished my PhD and was doing a couple of Postdocs more aimed specifically at translating it, the the kind of IP fell into place, and then we were able to go out and, and kind of do that early fundraising. Really, just off the back of the interest in the story we were telling. I think.
0: So, how, how um, was it very obvious, I guess, from the start that you would be a key kind of driving figure on the commercial side of things? Is that something that you'd you know thought about in the past, maybe aspired to, or is that really something that you jumped into because no one else was there to do it
1: starting a company running a business was not not something that i had ever particularly aspired to or had a a a specific interest in as such it wasn't something that i'd kind of gone out of my way to make happen until well until we found this idea and then you know we a lot of people had theorized about it being useful but nobody had really put action against those those words um so it sort of caught me by surprise as much as as anyone else i suppose but kind of from the early days once we had the idea and it was you know it was it was very much sort of my baby pushing it forward and doing the commercial side of things i mean like you know from the from the get go i was the one uh, doing the the applications to the accelerators writing the pitch decks business plans um so on and so forth so once it was clear that we had something worth pursuing it was kind of at that point that it was then clear that that it was me that was going to f- kind of fall into this role and it's something that I'm you know I really enjoy doing it's something I I like to think I'm pretty good at and uh, you know that's and, and I'm learning on the job it's not something that I knew I would have any particular aptitude for um, particularly so uh, a bit of a mix I suppose is is the, is the short answer to, to the question that Kind of once the ball started rolling it was obvious but prior to that probably not so much in, in getting this company to the point that it is what do you think is been I guess the largest challenge that you've had to overcome I think that the biggest challenge has just been it's just been the speed of, of kind of tech development so I mean one of the reasons that I think it took a while for us to go from kind of the early iterations of the idea to, to a funded company was, it was pretty much just me and for a while one of the other postdocs in the lab sort of chipping away at the science so we were sort of very much in that you know the classic kind of valley of death where academic funders you know you were starting to move out of the fundamental science so your options were a bit more limited but it wasn't translational enough to be kind of like MRC ready we didn't have any private investment yet so it wasn't eligible for, for innovate funding. And that whole period was, you know, would have been significantly faster if we'd had private investment from the outset. One of the sort of more interesting problem well, problems that we didn't expect to have was um, at the back end of 2020, when we were kind of raising like really beginning in-depth conversations in anger, um, we were actually out raising just shy of 4 million. Um, and, the two investors that we were furthest along with um and octopus ventures who are actually now who led the round ultimately um basically asked us what we would do if we raised more money what would we do with another two or three million um and so very quickly we we sort of weren't really expecting this question we'd already been out trying to raise you know three million or so the previous year that led to that convertible loan um which wasn't in the original plan either um so we had to not quite scramble but we had to very quickly think of productive ways to deploy another kind of two million or so um, which again nice problem to have and I think in hindsight was sort of the right the right thing to do um, you could make the argument well have you, you know be given up more equity than you than you needed to and so on and so forth um, but I, I'm not particularly equity minded when I when I think about these things like I'm I'm I enjoy being involved. I enjoy seeing sort of the, the vision go ahead. I'm not worried about you know how many point 0one percent I've got on the cap table or anything like that at this stage. Um, so it was a bit of a no brainer really to, to take that extra investment and, and just do more. site, you know do more of the interesting stuff. Um, but uh, that slowed things down ever so slightly. That we had to kind of go back to the drawing board somewhat and, and think about how to reforecast all of that. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't a troubled raise by any means you know we we weren't struggling to find interest or tr- struggling to find people um prepared to kind of um join the syndicate which was which is a great place to be
0: going back going back to getting the company again up and off the ground because i mean i am interested by kind of the team that you brought in a- around you uh, how did you go about as- assembling them anyone from mentors to uh, you said part of the tto was involved within the company so what did that process look like that really gave you guidance and a bit of you know, someone to bounce ideas against? Um, how, how did you find those people?
1: Yeah, uh, a, bit of, a bit of a mix. So people coming in from, from various different places, really. Um, uh, as you say, so the Warwick TTO was kind of the, the the nucleus of a lot of it. And, you know, just having all of those faces on a, on a slide lends so much credibility to the company and makes it so much more investable. Um, and, uh, you know, this is before you even throw in, like, the investor directors that we've got and the, the networks, that they have
0: what would your um advice be to someone going you know at the end of the phd or in those early post positions finally getting to the point where they think you know this is something interesting let's get something started how do you go about reliably trying to recruit this network because it sounds well, it's always serendipity i
1: appreciate and all of those things but what, what would your advice be I I think the only advice really is you just have to network. You have to speak to anyone and everyone who will give you the time of day. Um, And as you say, it is serendipity. So you are if you speak to enough people, eventually something is going to stick. You're going to find the right, the right. But not only people who are interested, but people you can work with. You know, obviously it's not a case of just settling for the first person that comes along. You you you, you're building a company um, with these people. You need to really get on with them. And, And fortunately, we do. You know, arguably my proudest achievement so far of of any of it is is the team we've built both the sort of management and the 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 technical staff so yeah i think just getting out talking to everybody and you know as, as with all all networking it's 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 an additive thing so you know start if you're a uni spin out start with your ttos they will probably be able to connect you with at least one or two people that that are useful um applying to things like accelerated programs and stuff is is a good way to get going if you if you're truly starting from scratch you've, you you don't you've got no network you've got no um, kind of clear uh, idea or commercialization or you know business plan etc um, applying to these accelerators that are there to to help you craft a lot of that will will get you a long way um, you'll meet a lot of, of useful people at them um, uh, yeah i think that's that's really all there is there is to it what i um I guess what I like most about the, particularly
0: when going to just describe it first time to an audience uh, about the technology, is almost how how tangible of a concept it, it feels. It, it's really quite like, you know, evocative of uh, something that it just feels futuristic, doesn't it? Do you think that's contributed to people's just you know excitement to 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 join, to invest, to open the door for those kind of first conversations that you've got something that's I don't want to say very easy to communicate because I still think it's obviously very very compl- complicated. But on the first pass, is something quite digestible and almost uh, you know easy to virally spread, person to person around a
1: network. I, I think yeah, I, I honestly think what, what we've we've spoken about this in the, in the past amongst the team that probably one of our biggest assets, certainly in the early days when we didn't have as so much data to go on, is just how compelling and, and captivating the, the technology is. You know on more than one occasion you know we've we've left a room having you know had a you know really in-depth sort of stimulated discussion and you know people just can't believe that this thing's even real um much much less something that people are exploiting um and that's before you get to to explaining the the problem that you're trying to solve with it you know the 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 Con- even though drug delivery per se is perhaps not something that people, um, at least outside of kind of biotech and pharma, immediately understand as a as a challenge, everybody is familiar with side effects of medications. Everybody is familiar with um, you know chemotherapy wiping the floor with people. So yeah, hundred um, percent. I think the story and the and the technology has has been a big part of of getting us to where we are.
0: Have you seen any shifts in attitudes to the um, from the investment community towards these, you know, towards anything life science? I guess
1: I don't think so. Uh, I mean, if if you look at the last two or three years, particularly around the pandemic, I mean, there's been you know record levels of investment into particularly biotech and pharma. Um, the, the, the the market struggled a bit at the beginning of this year, and, and a lot of that was put down to um, sort of not to be too disparaging, but tourist investors actually realizing that if you invest in pharma, you're probably not going to see your money back for ten to fifteen years. Um, and a lot of people didn't. A lot, a lot of people investing in the sector who aren't specialists like healthcare and life science investors don't necessarily intuitively know that. I think going into it, um, and a lot of, uh, I think a lot of what was the case with the um, the Theranos story is again, I don't know all of the details, but I think a lot of people view it as sort of um tourist investors or non-specialist investors that that were kind of behind a, a lot of what Theranos was doing um I mean I did see I think it was a LinkedIn post or a tweet or something that was talking about if you if you look at the the board that Theranos had um at the time that you know it was all kind of coming out it was you know generals of the army and uh secretaries of state um and I think this tweet said that you know that their board look more like the sort of people you need to invade a country than, than run a biotech company. Um, and I think that's because, you know, they were taking money from people who just had money, not, not people who know what they're doing. So those those that know the sector, know, know what it takes to do due diligence in life sciences, are not particularly off-put, I don't think, by it. It's just that you know, some of the more general maybe Silicon Valley money or some of these kind of, again, quote unquote, tourist investors probably are. It's, it's not that hard to take money from people who want to give you money. It's much harder to take money from people who add more value than just cash.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, a few things, I guess, maybe that pain is felt more on that diagnostic side, maybe than the, the therapeutic side. I, I have had, have heard kind of, you know, some some words that you know people get compared to companies they don't wanna be compared to before people really understand what's going on actually under the hood. Um, but I guess equally that speaks to the value of having scientists fundamentally involved in that diligence and investment process, which really I don't think many scientists view them, view as a feasible career path for themselves, but increasingly it's important.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you know, the, the other thing is from a from a just an operational like day to day perspective, we, we have board meetings every eight weeks. So it's important to have smart people on your board who understand the the, the ins and outs and the potential pitfalls of the sector that you're working in. Um, you know, one thing I get asked about sometimes is, is kind of like the the risk um, of, of doing something like this. And and I don't really see it like that. Um, yes, entrepreneurship is risky and, and starting companies is risky. But for me, personally, you know, from a career development perspective, there was never going to be a downside as such, um, even if the company crashes and burns tomorrow. And, you know, I, I'm not I'm not naive. I know the attrition rate of startups is, you know, 80, 90 percent and that the, odd, the deck is not stacked in our favor. Um, and that's really you know, what separates the, the good companies is, is how well you, you, you stack that deck in your favor. But even as I say, even if it all crashes and burns tomorrow, you know my CV is better for it. I I know I know more people. I have a better idea of where I would want to go next with my career, and so on and so forth. So I really don't see that there's um, you know a significant downside to it. It's it's not like it's not like Dragon's Den where people talk about how they've put you know their mortgage into the company and things like that's just not how things work in this sector. Um, so you're never going to be kind of financially worse off for doing it particularly um uh, and so the risk is the risk is that one day you might have to find a new job but that's the risk with academia as well so i I really don't see it as anything other than positive for me personally
0: absolutely do you you think the skills of a researcher or a scientist map nicely to that of entrepreneurship um
1: i think it depends depends a bit i i think generally speaking yeah you know you are you, a problem solver um you're sort of autodidactic you're prepared to you know get stuck in figure out what you don't know um and all of those things are, are useful skills i i learn on the job every single day when a new bit of paperwork comes across my desk that i don't i've not seen before hmr hmrc tells us we've not you know submitted something that we should not have done um but the networks exists you know we have accountants we have lawyers all of that sort of stuff is is eminently solvable um so you don't need to know everything Nobody is expecting you to um but you just you know have to be have to be willing to learn um lots of it you aren't going to know as I say like I never had any experience you know um designing you know a balance sheet or reporting the profit and loss that kind of stuff just doesn't feature much you might have a bit of background into that if you've if you've had to kind of do budget management on your grants and whatnot um which is all again all useful um so i think there is there is a good a good carryover again if you're if you're one of those people that's that's okay with um presentations and conferences and presenting and so on and so forth as well um, particularly if you want to do the ceo job that's going to feature heavily um because you are the the job of the CEO really, in my mind, boils down to two things. And that is fundraise, which is basically a constant activity, and and build a team. Realistically, you're not directly responsible for much anymore when you get to this point. But it's you know it's about achieving results through other people now, um, through through the scientific teams and what have you. Um, so if you're if you're able to stand up in front of of a, you know a room full of people and talk about the science that you love and, and the company that you want to build, um, which I don't think many researchers will, will struggle with um, because that, that passion for the science carries a lot of weight as well. People just recognize that you know, an entrepreneur is, is genuinely um, you know, really heavily invested in what they're doing.
0: Nanosyrinx, in their own words, are looking to deliver the future of intercellular medicine. By directly targeting the inside of cells, their approach to therapeutic drug delivery promises to improve utility, cost, and safety for a wide variety of patients. You've been listening to our conversation with Dr. Joseph Healy, CEO of Nanosyrinx. If you want to stay involved, feel free to subscribe to our newsletter or join us on social media. All further information can be found at our website at spin-up.science. My name is Dr. Ben Miles, and this has been the Scientist to CEO podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.